Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Today I'm announcing another $2.9 billion in U.S. support for life-saving humanitarian and food security assistance for this year alone. Russia, in the meantime, is pumping out lies, trying to pin the blame for the crisis, the food crisis, on the sanctions imposed by many in the world for the aggression against Ukraine. So let me be perfectly clear about something. Our sanctions explicitly allow, explicitly allow Russia the ability to export food and fertilizer. No limitation. It's Russia's war that is worsening food insecurity, and only Russia can end it. I'm grateful for the work here at the UN, including your leadership, Mr. Secretary General, establishing a mechanism to export grain from Black Sea ports in Ukraine that Russia had blocked for months. And we need to make sure it's extended. That's Joe Biden speaking at the United Nations. The Russia story, of course, is a big one, considering that they are now looking to engage in conscription. They're just going to pluck people right off the streets and say, you now serve in the military. Congratulations to you. I mean, that's what's going on. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. And what we're doing, of course, the big story right now is that uh, it's going to be it's going to be your social media feeds it's going to be everywhere the the state of new york suing uh, president trump and his company family members over fraud claims seeking at least 250 million dollars in penalties making the claim that mr trump's statements of financial condition for the period 2011 through 2021 were fraudulent and misleading in both their composition and presentation So uh, they, as they put it here, Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars. Did he do it to get loans? Did he do it to look good? What is is your argument? I just, I don't know. I guess I'm not going to be surprised, and I would be surprised if anybody was surprised, that President Trump may have indeed inflated well, well, anything. I'm just surprised that other people would be surprised. Now, did he commit a crime? Did he do something? Well, you're gonna, you're you're gonna you're gonna tell us, right? You're gonna engage in the charges. He's going to engage as in his defense. My take is that, like all things, there's a little bit of truth in what it is they're saying Trump did, and there's going to be a lot of bit of, you are just looking to destroy the man any way you can, Letitia James. This is, this is why you're here. This is why you didn't run for governor against Kathy Hochul, who is, by the way, you want to talk about a gigantic mess? In New York right now? Holy McCow, I don't know how many people are reporting on uh, this story right here, but in New York, you had um, the the I think it was the Manhattan District Attorney 
saying, hey, um, the uh, challenger to Kathy Hochul in New York, the Republican, Lee Zeldin, we're going to launch a probe into uh, whether or not he photocopied signatures. So you're launching a fraud investigation against the Republican nominee for governor who has been catching up to Kathy Hochul in the polls just five and a half weeks before the election. You got it. Six weeks before the election. We believe you. Makes total sense. Oh, why wouldn't you? How, how could you not? Is there anybody who doesn't know that this is just nonsense? You engage these charges against Trump and you, you, you're throwing in uh, Donald Jr. and Eric and Ivanka into the mix. You, you're, you're, you're doing this days, uh, as I said, five, six weeks before the midterms. Sure you are. Just one of those things. No big deal. Why do you ask? Good Lord. I, I, I'm always stunned when they like to play the game of we're going to do these things and you can't see us. No, 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 no. We're, we're doing it in plain sight in front of you. We're telling you we're doing it. We're telling you how we're doing it. And every 30 seconds, we're going to poke you and be like, huh? Huh? You see what we're doing? Huh? Huh? And then when we say, hey, you're doing this, they say, what are you talking about? We're not doing anything. It's remarkable how smug and pompous and uh, the, the reality is they truly believe they can get away with it. Like they're, they're convinced. They believe they can get away with it. Why, 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 why shouldn't they be? Why shouldn't they be um, convinced that they can? Because after all, they do. So these are just some of the things that are going on all around us. And then, in the same breath as they're charging Trump on this, and again, I, I, I've only seen parts of the charges. I haven't been able to dig into the whole thing. Uh, by tomorrow, we'll have more, more of a take. The, this allegation against uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, the Republican, who's running against Kathy Hochul, the Democratic governor of New York, and then yesterday, in the same vein of they'll literally say anything to your face, they don't actually care. This right here, I don't know where that sound came from. That was weird. Wait. Ah. I, again, don't know where that sound comes from. <laughs> My gosh, make it stop, I tell you. This right here is Corinne Jean-Pierre telling us that Joe Biden didn't say what he said in that 60 Minutes interview. The, pro the president said, and he was very clear in his 60 Minutes interview, that uh, you know COVID remains a problem and we're fighting it. And we have to continue uh, to make sure that we are fighting uh, this once uh, in a generation pandemic. Joe Biden said the pandemic was over. He said the pandemic was over. This is what he said. There, there's, there's, there's not a debate. He said what he said. And what he said was the pandemic was over. This is what he said to Scott Pelley. 
all of a sudden we didn't hear what we heard, we didn't see what we saw? The willingness, the brazenness of these people, the desperation. I shouldn't say the desperation, the hubris to just flat out lie to us. To tell us that we're crazy. And to do it with a smile because they know they're lying, but they don't care because they're never going to get questioned on it. They're never going to get called to account on it. They're free. They're free to do it. And then uh, you, 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 you have a, a political party and an apparatus of a political party known as the media just buy into this. Just in case you were wondering whether or not the man said it. This was Joe Biden in that interview, 60 Minutes. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, and I think this is a perfect example of it. If you want to argue he said some other words, like we're still working with it, you can. But you can't make this claim. The, pro the president said, and he was very clear in his 60 Minutes interview, that uh, you know COVID remains a problem and we're fighting it. And we have to continue uh, to make sure that we are fighting uh, this once-in-a-generation uh, pandemic. He said it was over. And no one holds her to account. There will not be story after story on MSNBC and CNN and Fox and a host of others, including local outlets that say, you know what? I know that's the White House press secretary, but she is flat out not telling the truth right there. And this is exactly the kind of spin we should not accept as Americans. Not a one, not a single local news outlet is going to make that happen on TV. Only talk radio is going to be honest and clear about that. Maybe Fox will get into it, but not MSNBC and not CNN. And they should, and they have to. Because this is where people learn to say, I'll oh, just say anything. Get away with it, it's no problem. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Saying anything getting away with it is exactly what Sonny Hostin tried to do on The View. You want a story of just outright bigotry? I got that for you right here. Again. Nothing's going to happen. Keep it here. I'm Tony Counts. So Sunny Hostin over at The View has decided to add herself into the category of bigots. I don't know why she decided to do this in something so criminally insane as to be believed. And that is to make the claim that Nikki Haley is not using her name and that she's embarrassed of her Indian heritage. They did this against Governor Bobby Jindal of Louisiana, too. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Sonny Hostin refers to Nikki Haley as a chameleon. When Alyssa uh, uh, Griffin, who, not conservative, I don't know what she's doing, you know, saying, I'd love to see Nikki Haley run for president, challenge Trump. I'd love to see Liz Cheney. You wouldn't love to see Liz Cheney. 
Now, you could argue that Liz Cheney and her voting record is absolutely conservative because I've made that argument. But you can't figure out how absolutely done she is in politics because she decided to let Trump ruin her. She decided to let the January 6th committee ruin her. She couldn't figure out how to have a conversation without going in on a witch hunt that didn't do anybody any good and isn't about doing anything for the country other than trying to destroy Trump, which is just no way to live your life. So then, uh, as she's saying this, Sonny Hostin is jumping in is a, in, in this smug way. And Nikki Haley, Haley, the chameleon, and Liz Cheney, who's now the savior. Uh, and then Hostin continues, what's her real name again? What's Nikki Haley's real name again? Well, she calls herself Nikki. And Far- uh, Alyssa Farrah Griffin is like, well, people sometimes don't go by their, their actual names. To which Hostin said, you know, I think if she leaned into being someone of color, the idea that Nikki Haley is hiding herself and hiding her Indian heritage. Meanwhile, they come back to the conversation and Sonny Hostin is back at it going against uh, Alyssa Farrah Griffin. Just real quick, as the Nikki Haley conversation came yeah. up, so Nikki Haley's gone by Nikki since she was a child. It's mm-hmm. documented in high school. I wouldn't be shocked that as somebody, an Indian woman growing up in South Carolina at that time, she actually did to avoid prejudice. So I just want to be careful about critiquing yeah, her there, for going by the name some, There are some of by. us that can be chameleons and decide not to embrace our ethnicity so that we can pass. Sonny, so I don't that think we that's don't fair. Have, you will buy a different name. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to be the one to say it. Because most <laughs> Americans can't pronounce Asuncion because of the Sonny's real name is Asuncion. Asuncion Cummings Hostin. And she's allowed to go by Sonny because most Americans can't pronounce Asuncion because of the undereducation in our society. Are, 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 are you sure? Are you sure that's the reason? Are you sure that's the mathematics? Maybe you just liked the name Sonny. It was just easier. Maybe you just liked it more. I go by Tony. My real name is Anthony. Should everybody call me by my Hebrew name? Am I not utilizing my Hebrew name every single day because I'm embarrassed of my Jewish heritage? From now on, you will refer to me as Aron Yisrael Ben Label. Try it, Ryan. Aron Yisrael Ben Label. Go for it. Aron Yisrael Ben Label. He was so close and he wasn't trying to be insulting, so please do not yell at the man. I, I didn't prep him for that. By the way, it's Aaron Yisrael Ben Label. So the Ben Label, uh, you, you would do your Hebrew name as uh, son of. So Label is my father's name. So Aaron Yisrael, son of Label. So my name is Aaron Yisrael Ben Label, son of Label. That's how it would, would, would work. And then my father is Label Ben Laser. It's pretty, that, that, was, that was my grandfather's middle, uh, Hebrew name, I should say. Uh, so that's, that's how that works. And now you know. One more bit of multicultural fantasticism. From right here at Tony Katz today. That's that's what we do. The more you know, people. But I don't use my Hebrew name. I don't use my Hebrew name in my everyday talk. It's okay. I'm Anthony, but I go by Tony. Am I hiding? She's afraid of her culture. She's she's giving up on her culture. She's trying to erase her culture. She's a chameleon for not using her Indian name. As Nikki Haley points to, 
Thanks for your concern, Sonny, she writes on Twitter. It's racist of you to judge my name. Nikki is an Indian name and is on my birth certificate, and I'm proud of that. What's sad is the left's hypocrisy towards conservative minorities. By the way, last I checked, Sonny isn't your birth name. And just like that, Nikki Haley reminds you why she's a 2024 contender, and she is... As ambassador to the UN, and by the way, that's her name, Ambassador Haley. She understood how to engage that fight, and she did it very, very, very well. The best is, while this conversation's going on, on The View, uh, uh, Joy Behar is silent, and Whoopi Goldberg is just looking out to the crowd saying, will someone please save me from all of this? Sonny Hostin bigot that is correct that is accurate not because she had to be but because she chose to be she chose this she chose to engage a full-on attack of uh, of ambassador haley for no reason whatsoever other than hmm look at me i'm so special i'm so important look at her i she must be diminished are we going to go through how many people don't use their real name? Does she refer to Sting as Gordon Sumner? Lord only knows. I don't even know what Bono's real name is. The idea of embarrassment is hysterical. But the idea of the bigotry from those on the left or those they disagree with is just right there in front of your face at all times. All times. It's right there as clear as day it's kind of remarkable that um that that she's going to be on the show today and she's going to have a fan base and she's going to keep getting paid if i you'll notice that when i had ryan say hey try and pronounce my hebrew name and and hey, he never tried before i said hey he wasn't trying to insult anybody because I know someone's going to send an email and maybe try and get Ryan in trouble. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I will stand in the gap. Don't you worry about that, Ryan. Don't you worry about that, anybody else. Sonny Hostin doesn't have to worry. Why is that? Why is that? That's the exact problem. The bigotry of Sonny Hostin should be a front and center subject. Meanwhile... Russia is grabbing Russians to fight against Ukraine. Major Mike Lyons talks to us about it. That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. So Vladimir Putin is going to conscript 300,000 Russians to join the death march in Ukraine. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that, is that a little too... Is that a little too on the nose right there? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? The Russians have announced that they are going to force into military service 300,000 Russians. They claim they've identified 25 million uh, Russians that could be part of this. And this is to fortify the troops in Ukraine because they're losing. Because they are a horrifically put together military. You understand that there are an unlimited number of Russian generals, of Russian admirals, who just flat out lied to Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the, the force, oh, best force in the world. Oh, you've trained him. Oh, you, 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 you take off your shirt and you, you wrestle him with the, the jujitsu. Oh, you're just, you have inspired these men like you would not believe. Pfft, these guys are not inspired. 
These guys are not a fighting force. You could take over Russia in an hour, it turns out, uh, but they do have nuclear weapons. They do have a fair amount of nuclear weapons, and one has to wonder exactly how close we are getting to this reality, that nuclear weapons are indeed possible. Because this taking in of 300,000 people, and that's just the start, well, this is to, to uh, show, to engage the idea that he ain't going to give up. He's just going to keep throwing bodies at this problem until he solves it. What's the problem? That the Ukrainian people keep fighting back. He was supposed to be able to take Ukraine in an hour, and it didn't happen. And he doesn't know what to do about it. Things are bad for Vladimir Putin. I had the chance to speak with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army radio and television military analyst, uh, about uh, the, the situation. And it, we started with just his just casual observation uh, that, uh, if anything, Donetsk and Luhansk, these areas to the southeast, man, he has to be able to control those in order to save any face whatsoever. I, I think that um, I, I think that Vladimir Putin has got to try to get some win, and I think the win is going to be the Donbass region that he's occupied. He's in, at risk of losing Crimea. Now that that's a non-starter from his perspective. That's where the Black Sea Fleet comes out of. That that was a leased land that he had from Ukraine before he took it in 2014. If Russia loses that foothold, they lose um, they lose all capability of a warm water port, which is one of those strategic. Um, aspects that, that Russia has to have in order if it's going to project power across the world. So they're in, they're in real danger, I think, of, of losing that whole thing. And a lot of it has to do with the technology. A lot of it has to do with the intelligence. But everything has gone right for Ukraine so far. But again, let me just caution you that Russia still, if they make this a war of attrition, history shows that wars of attrition are won by the countries that have greater industrial capability, and that still remains Russia. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point, military analyst, radio and TV. Uh, I, I want to I, I go back to some things you said, but when you bring up Crimea, it is Erdogan, the president of Turkey, who is now discussing the fact that Russia has to give up Crimea. What is Turkey's positioning in this? Strategically, uh, they've got a lot of say here, and they have only been talking a little bit. This seems to me one of the biggest things they've said thus far. Yeah, that's a great point, because it is Erdogan, the leader that can, from the West side, that can talk to Zelensky and, and get him to make certain concessions, and maybe he's the bridge to talk to Vladimir Putin, given the fact that Erdogan did buy the SA-400 missile platforms, the air defense platforms from Russia years going back. However, they're not doing that going forward. And so, you know, he, he's might have pivoted at, at this point. But but I, I'll say this, Vladimir Putin is a, a bright line that he has to have Crimea. He has to have that warm water port in Sebastopol. He has to, or else he doesn't have a Black Sea fleet. And it's just it's really as simple as that. Um, it's, uh, you know, whether he keeps the land bridge is, you know, kind of the issue there. Uh, you know, kind of going forward, but um, but right now, what what's preventing them from from taking it is still manpower on the Ukraine side. While they have tremendous intelligence, they're as exhausted. I don't think that story has been told, and, and the media doesn't want to project that story. But I think that the Ukraine military is as exhausted. It's hard to go on the offensive, and they've had they've had a lot of casualties uh, and, and 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 losses themselves. They would just as soon probably want to take a break at this point. The question is. During this break, how much will Russia get to rearm and fit itself? 
Now let's get back to something we, we were discussing earlier. You have the Russians saying, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to conscript 300,000 people, basically pluck people out of Russia and say, we claim you have some kind of military skill set. Boom, you're a body that we can, we can afford uh, to lose. You see this mm-hmm. as a sign of, of a, a bit of their desperation. But I want to go over that again, this idea of the war of, of attrition. The Ukrainians have been able to fight back. We saw this in the beginning. We're seeing this over the last month where they've captured a couple thousand uh, of uh, acres or, or, or I should say miles of, of their own land uh, back. They've shown that they can fight when they have uh, the, certainly the arms to do so, which leads to how, how long the United States needs to be uh, supplying them. But in a war of a tradition of attrition, how does this play out? Because as you're describing it, you're saying that you got to let the body count mount up, and eventually the other guy runs out of bodies. Right. Yeah. And and it's that is. I mean, more men on the front lines here does equate to more power for Russia. Russia doesn't care about how effective they are. Ukraine has to care about how effective their fighting force is. They they have to take out certain um, intersections. They have to hit certain command and control. They have to do certain things from a military perspective and hold them. Russia doesn't care about that, which is why this mobilization is, is dangerous from Ukraine's perspective, because all Russia cares about is destruction. All they, all they want is to throw these bodies into the fodder, into the cannon of of, of, the, of the fight, and that's all that will happen, and they have more of them to do that. And so that, that is the issue here, and that's where, again, just look at history. It shows that that, that ends up happening. Uh, Russia can has an endless supply of people that um, unless there is some other revolution. I, I think that um, we're getting closer and closer also to the fact that Vladimir Putin cannot remain the leader of Russia. We won't say that out loud, especially if he uses a nuclear weapon. If he uses a nuclear weapon, then now he's crossed a very bright line. It would be similar to if all of a sudden Hitler decided in the Second World War to stop and say, I'm going to sue for peace right now. One of the things was you've got to go. I mean, it's, he, he can't be the leader of Germany anymore. So I, I think that's, that's where we're at. I think that's the quiet part that no one's saying out right now because that would cause further escalation, cause further mobilization inside of Russia. Yeah, but everybody is thinking it. Everybody who's a part of this conversation right now is thinking it. Everybody on the bar stool, everybody at the kitchen table is thinking it. If you take Vladimir Putin and you back him into the corner, how soon before he turns around and says, oh, there's my button, click. I mean, is it... It, yep. you, yeah, you have to think this is a serious possibility. Where do we think this possibility lies? And again, yep. as you've discussed before in this show, what are the off-ramps, if you will, at this stage of the game? Yeah. Yeah, so Tony, so nuclear weapons does really two things. The first thing it does is it, it fixes conventional forces in place. Um, he'd have to come up with a target that would uh, knowingly lo- uh, knock out a large number of conventional forces. So he, he'll he'll be looking for assembly areas and places will cause even attack nuke will cause a tremendous amount of of uh, destruction the question is how does he deliver it if he delivers it with an artillery weapon or a rocket um you get back to he also has to deliver it further enough inside of ukraine where it doesn't potentially come back either fallout or uh ground radiation uh, impact russian troops on the ground Uh, i'm going to assume he's not going to kill his own troops uh, but the second thing is I think an overt nuclear strike will turn NATO and the rest of the world into a one big covert operation. I think then it all gets down to decapitation. It all gets down to what are we going to do? Every nation is going to take a run at trying to remove him from the equation at some point. I, and that's really 
what, what that's going to mean. Um, you know, China possibly could be that peacekeeper in, in here as well. Uh, I think that's the other deterrence that's keeping him from doing it. India and China are not happy about what's going on in the war. But if he gets too desperate and, and pulls that trigger, as you, to your point, you know, presses the button, I, I think that um, you're, you're going to see a, a, a completely different response from, from the rest of the world. And I think they're going to go right after Vladimir. India and China aren't happy. They're the ones buying his oil. I, I, we have to question whether India is still a friend. They're the ones buying the oil. They don't seem too bothered by nothing. Well, they have concerns. So that meeting that took place last week, um, they are expressing concerns. India is trying to thread a needle here based on they have a billion people and so do the Chinese. They have to make sure that they're you know, fed and watered or they have revolution there themselves. And frankly, one of the, you know, one of the underpinning of a foreign policy failure of our country for probably the past 50 years, you know, I think we've talked about, we've talked about Cuba, Iran, some of the biggest failures, Vietnam. But I, I also think India has been a foreign policy failure for us, and that's because of our relationship with Pakistan. We, we, we're, we've deferred so many things. We have this relationship with Pakistan in order to try to keep the terrorists out of, out of uh, Afghanistan. But look, that really hasn't equated to anything, and Pakistan and Indian are, are fierce, uh, you know, death, you know, to the death rivals themselves. And because of that relationship, we've not been able to have a better relationship with India. So in, India is going to at least side. Uh, with China and continue to buy that because it has to. It has to support its people. It's still a billion people. Uh, just to uh, change gears just for a moment before I let you go, Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, radio and television military analyst. Over at military.com, there was a story about mm-hmm. how the Swiss have purchased 36 F-35 fighters, a $6 billion deal. Um, the, the planes will be delivered between 2027 and 2030. These are planes that are coming from Lockheed Martin. And people are bothered by this because you're the Swiss. You are by constitution a neutral government. 36, three dozen F-35 fighters. You're not close enough mm-hmm. to the Russian border to really be worried. Or are they close enough to, or, or are they dealing with the fact that Europe is different now and they've got to be prepared to defend themselves? Is there a re- I'm not opposed to the to the deal. I like six billion dollars going yeah. to the United States. But is there a reason sure. they just bought 36 of these things? Yeah, a couple of things. I think your first point is spot on in that is they can no longer rely on Germany and any kind of ground forces there. The Swiss still have the, the Alps that protect them. Fundamentally, I've actually trained with the Swiss Army, and you would be surprised people don't realize how militaristic and militarized the country of Switzerland is. There's a 14-year mandatory conscription for every Swiss citizen. Uh, you walk into a Swiss house, there is an automatic weapon that sits in a, in a gun rack uh, right uh, as you walk in the house. It is, it is a complete – I've seen the general defense plan of Switzerland. It's pretty amazing. So the, those those airplanes are de- designed to do one thing, and that is to protect uh, the skies over over Switzerland. As if there's one thing that this this battle has shown, this Ukraine Russia has shown, is that if you want to have a country, you got to control your airspace. And so I, I think that's what the thinking there. I think it's good thinking from their perspective. They are a neutral country; they remain a neutral country. But that's not to say they're not militaristic and they'll defend it if they have to. But that's that's controlling the airspace over Switzerland. 
and without buying Patriot missiles or, or air defense, other air defense platforms, they're going to go fight you air to air. So, so good on them. But, and that's a, that's a great observation from you on that part. as well. I think it's interesting while we're complimenting each other. Uh, I think it's interesting that you brought up <laughs> right. Germany because there, right. there is something to be said that through all of this, through this Russian invasion of Ukraine, Germany has turned looked the worst. They 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 weren't strong uh, necessarily from the beginning. This was a country that was absolutely willing to work with Russia and take their energy. Mm-hmm. President Trump was clearly absolutely right. There was a a conversation about whether or not they were really able to engage in defense. Maybe other European nations saying, "I don't know if we can rely uh, on these people to be uh, our leadership." And now you're discussing it in this way: Switzerland not being able to rely on Germany. Is Germany no right. longer a dominant European power? No, not, not at all from a military side. I mean, they, they're hegemonically the economic power just based on their GDP. Um, but, but we all know that, uh, that that matters only half in the, in the real world now at this point. I, I mean, the Germans couldn't even put a standing army together. If the Russians decide to fully mobilize, if we go full-scale World War III, if they decide to mobilize, their country. Um, the, 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 I've seen NATO studies that show they'd be in Germany within 60 hours of, of leaving the Russian border, leaving Ukraine or so, getting, getting through there if they wanted to. Um, but, but, but that's kind of the classic you know, warfare, punch a hole in it and see, and see what kind of happens. But the bottom line is the German army is, is a shadow of itself from 80 years ago. When you think about how the Wehrmacht was then, they, they, could, they can't even send tanks right now to, to Ukraine to help them as they promised because all their tanks are deadlines. Um, the, the, the Germans live under the cover of U.S. nuclear power that exists uh, in, inside of NATO. They know it. They haven't spent money on their, in the military in 20 years. Um, Trump, Donald Trump was right. They all laughed at him, but he was spot on. And um, the question is whether Germany recovers from it in the next 10 years or not remains to be seen. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point, military analyst, radio and TV. Sir, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. News that's breaking. A federal judge striking down the Biden administration's Head Start vaccine and mask mandate. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Well, this is something. Federal judge in Louisiana, a judge, Terry Doughty, issuing a permanent injunction against federal agencies enforcing Head Start vaccine and mask requirements. Well, uh, no wonder it's struck down. Uh, After all, uh, Biden told us uh, that the pandemic is over. Doughty finding that plaintiffs had satisfied the requirements to warrant a permanent injunction, ruling that this group of Head Start teachers from across the country, along with some state governments, faced a, quote, substantial threat of irreparable injury if the mandate wasn't taken down. Huh. Plaintiff states will incur the increased cost of training and of enforcing the Head Start mandate, will be unable to enforce their laws, and will have their police power encroached. The court finds this would be an irreparable injury. Um, uh, here's here's the, the, the question that, that I think comes uh, from, from this. Oh, by the way, a lot of states were involved in this. Louisiana, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, uh, Indiana. My beloved Indiana was one uh, uh, of these states. So am, am, am I to take it now that this opens the door to 
saying that um, that that masks can't be mandated by the government at all. I want to know where the, where this gets to. I, w- I want to know how far this this can progress. I guess is the question. I I and I, and I don't have a good answer for it. Like like where does this kind of deliver out from so I'm very curious what uh, health and human services does uh, about this I'm very curious about where this can expand to Um, a federal judge in Louisiana ruling that the federal government cannot require a Head Start program teachers, staff and volunteers be vaccinated against COVID-19 nor can they require that adults and students wear masks I want to know what comes next from this. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.